Take your scriptures, if you would, and turn to Mark's Gospel, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 45 through 52. Let us give attention to God's Word this morning. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand what the loaves uh, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that as we are gathered here today, that you would teach us, Lord Jesus, that you would open our, our hearts and our minds, our, our wills, uh, to be submissive to your word, that you would encourage us in our faith, especially if there be any here today who are weak or those that do not know you, we pray that you would speak to them in a special way to honor and glorify you. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, in any relationship, there are varying degrees in which you can know a person. You can have people in your life who are nothing more than acquaintances. People that maybe you've met, you've learned a thing or two about them, but you don't really have a relationship with them. You just really know more about them than you know them. Then you have others in your life who are friends. And these are people that you share more in common with than with an acquaintance. These are people maybe you have similar interests with and you like to spend time with. But then there's maybe within that group of friends, you have those who are your best friends. And these people you really like to spend time with. And you, you, have, you, you may have a lot in common. You may actually have, may be very opposite. But for some reason, you sort of attract to one another and you like spending time with one another. And then maybe even within those best friends, then maybe you have a spouse or maybe a roommate, somebody that you live with. Now, you don't really get to know somebody until you live with them, right? And then you really, really get to know them. Maybe sometimes you get to know them more than you wish you knew them. But anyway, nonetheless, you, you get to know them very much. And, and oftentimes, to get to know a person, you, you do have to encounter hard things together. You know, I, I would encourage you to think of someone that you're close with. And I would suspect that that person that you're close with that you've been through a lot of things together. You've been through a lot of pleasant things together, but you've also been through a lot of difficult things together. Well, the idea of knowing someone, of, of having a relationship with them, this is somewhat what we see to some extent in the Gospel of Mark. 
And, and as we come to Mark's Gospel today, uh, I want you to understand some things about the book itself before we get into the chapter that we're going to be looking at. Mark's Gospel is very different than the other Gospels. Uh, the other ones um, have a lot more teaching from Jesus. They have a lot more theology that we see in, in the book as well. Mark's Gospel is more of one of action. It progresses rather quickly through the life of Jesus. It's, it's, it's like constantly on the move. Go, go, go. It, as a matter of fact, you see the word immediately used over and over and over and over. It's used like 40 times in just this short little gospel. Um, it's really more, someone described it as more like a, a newspaper account of Jesus' life. You know, it, it just sort of moves quickly. It gives you little snippets and you get to see. But what it does is, more than addressing his teaching and the theology of Jesus, it shows us what Jesus does, which is uh, tells us a lot about who Jesus is. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you uh, look at the Gospel of Mark, you see that it really addresses a number of questions. And this is not the outline of my sermon, but it's still worth writing down. Uh, but it, first of all, it addresses who is Jesus. Okay, who is Jesus? talks about his identity. But then it also addresses why is it that he came to earth, talking about his mission. And then third, it talks about what does it mean to follow Jesus, which talks about his call on our life. So who is Jesus? Why did he come? And, and what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? But the question that is central to this gospel is the question of who is Jesus? And that question keeps appearing over and over and over as you go through the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark wants us to see and to wrestle with the question and invite us to ask, who is Jesus? And for us to answer that question, by the time we get to the end of the book, we should have an idea of who Jesus is. And, and most of us do. Most of us have formed an opinion of who Jesus is. But Mark doesn't just leave us with our own opinion our own thought about who Jesus is, he actually presents us with an answer as, as revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And so it's for that reason that understanding Mark's gospel is a major step in coming to know, to understand, and to believe in Jesus himself. Not as an acquaintance. Okay, I think there are people who are Christians who probably know Jesus more that way. They they, they've met Jesus, they have somewhat of a relationship, but probably they just know more about Jesus than, than they really do. Um, rather than someone who knows him well, like a best friend, or, or someone who loves Jesus, like they might love a spouse. Well, as we come to chapter 6, um, already Mark has told us a lot about Jesus. And, and so let me share that with you. I mean, he just starts out in chapter 1, verse 1, telling us that he is the Son of God. And so we know that, but, but what does that look like? How does that play itself out? Well, if you look at chapter 1, verses 23 through 28, you see Jesus casting out demons. And so we know just through his actions that Jesus has power over the spirit world. He has power over demons. They must do what he says. They don't really have a choice. But, but not only does he have power over the spirit world, but also in chapter 1, beginning with verse 29, and really going through the end of the chapter, 
we see Peter healing, or Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. And as a result of that, then there are many other people who bring sick people to him. And Jesus heals them as well. So Jesus not only has power over the spirit realm, but also over sickness and over illness. And, and he heals these people. And then as you come to chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, you see him once again heal a paralytic. But, but we see more about Jesus than just the fact that he heals him. Because Jesus says before he heals him, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And, and Jesus does that to show us that he has the power to forgive sins. And then if you skip over to chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, you, you see him in the boat with his disciples, and they're out on the sea, and there's a storm that comes up, and, and of course the disciples are scared, and so Jesus, they wake Jesus up, and he stands up, and he speaks, and he said, be calm. And guess what? It, it, it's calm. Which shows us that, that Jesus has power over nature, over all of, of creation. And then in chapter 5, verses 35 through 43, Jesus raises his Jairus' daughter from the dead, which shows us that not only does he have the power over sickness and illness, but even if a person dies, Jesus can raise them again from the dead. So even death itself uh, must succumb itself to Jesus' power. But not only does Jesus have this power, but then we see in chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, that Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, and he gives them power over unclean spirits. So not only does he possess the power, but he also can delegate that power as well. And then finally, in chapter 6, verses 34 through 44, the passage right before the one that we're coming to today, uh, we see the miracle of the five loaves and the two fishes. And Jesus has the power to create or to multiply that which he has. Now, as, as you hear those things, I hope that paints a picture for you of who Jesus is. You know, he's not just the one who died on the cross. You know, and, and you might be here today and you might be tempted to think that if you had just been alive back then, if you'd seen those things that Jesus had done, then your faith would be rock solid. But that's not necessarily the case. And, and the reason I say that is because the disciples were there. The disciples were there and they heard the shrieks of the demons as they were forced to come out of people by Jesus' command. Uh, the disciples had seen the withered hand that was straightened and restored of the man in the temple. They experienced it when they were on the sea and Jesus said, be still, and the waves immediately were, the sea was calm and the waves were subdued. And yet, it was the same disciples who were still struggled to see who Jesus really is. Uh, in our account, after he walks out to them on the water, we read this in verses 51 and 52. And they were utterly astonished. Now, can you believe that? They've seen Jesus cast out demons, heal people, calm, the, calm nature. They, you know, they've seen him do all, even raise the dead. And yet they're still surprised. And, and part of that is, is that they are still struggling to see Jesus as the conquering king. They're, they're struggling to see him as the one who has victory over destructive forces of nature and disease and demons and even death. So it, it is one thing to know these things about Jesus and even to experience them. And it is another thing to look to Jesus in our need 
knowing that nothing is impossible for him, and as a result, to lean on him, to trust in him, to rest in him. But brothers and sisters, that's where the disciples were. And oftentimes that's where we are too, right? If we're very honest about it, we struggle with that. And, and the, one of the reasons why that's the case is, and this is my first point, is because of our unbelief and hard-heartedness. Because of our unbelief and our hard-heartedness. If you look at verse 45, it says that, that immediately after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sends the disciples off in a boat. It gets them in the boat very quickly, sends them out to, to sea. And basically, they are on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, out in the wilderness. And Jesus is sending them across the northern side of the sea, over to Bethsaida, over to civilization. And so they're, they're out to sea. Jesus then goes and he dismisses the crowd. After the crowd is gone, then we read that Jesus goes up onto the mountain. And what does he do? He prays. Okay, then we read in verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, uh, for the wind was against them. And so Jesus sees the struggle of his disciples. Uh, one commentator said that this is a picture that should give us great comfort because it portrays the spiritual truth of our present situation as the church. That Jesus is above praying for us. Much the same way that Jesus was up on the mountain praying. It doesn't say specifically that he was praying for his disciples, but that's sort of the assumption of many commentators, that Jesus was praying for his disciples as they were struggling. And so Jesus prays for us as we go through this storm-tossed seas of life that we are living and, and it reminds us of the words that Jesus spoke to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, where he says to, to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But then Jesus says this, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's what Jesus is doing right now in heaven for us as his church he is praying for us as we go through the, the the difficulties of this life as we go through the struggles as we uh, sometimes doubt things and question things and so jesus uh prays for his disciples but he also he sees them and he sees their struggle and their trouble and so what does he do he goes to them and it says uh, that he goes to them at the fourth watch of the night which is uh, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So here they are. They've been wrestling with the oars of this boat for some time now. Um, they now, it's, it's dark, you know, and they see this figure that's coming towards them. And, and in verse 49, as the disciples see Jesus coming on the lake, they think he's a ghost. And, and they scream in fear. Maybe like little girls. I don't know. Ah! You know, they, they, they see this figure and, and they just don't understand it. And so they see Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Now, in one sense, I think if we're really honest, I mean, we're, it's so easy for us to be critical as we read our Bibles of those in, in the Scripture and the things that they experience. But it's very understandable because why is it that they should think that this is Jesus? I mean, what, what man 
can walk on water. So why should they expect that this is Jesus? And so they didn't recognize him because they weren't expecting to see Jesus. Though he had fed the 5,000, they had not truly come to see the secret of Jesus' person. Sinclair Ferguson points out that evidently he said it's possible to see the power and the grace of Jesus and yet to have hearts which remain hardened. Nearness to Jesus, like that of the disciples, is no guarantee of real trust in Him. Even being the recipients of blessing from Him is not always the same thing as a genuine faith in Him. And so like Herod with, with John the Baptist, it's possible for us to be hearers of God's Word and yet to have hearts which are darkened and hardened towards it. Now, e even those who are believers can struggle with this, brothers and sisters. You have to remember that that's who this letter was written to. Not to unbelievers, but, but to Christians. It was written to the church. And, and, and so it helps us to, to see that just because we are close to Jesus, just because we come to church every Sunday, maybe we have our quiet time faithfully every day, maybe we have family worship and we do all those things, it does not necessarily mean that we have hearts that trust and rest in Jesus. That we can have times where our hearts can be hard. And this is a warning for all of us. As I said, those who profess a faith in the Lord Jesus. And kids, I want to challenge you too, as well, as covenant children. Be careful that you don't place your confidence in the fact that you profess the name of Christ with your lips, while at the same time maybe not trusting Him. It's only as we rest in Him that we see who He is. We need to be careful when we find ourselves in the storms of life that we are trusting in Jesus, that we know who He is. So often when Christ comes to us in misery, when we're going through difficult times, we, we reject Him because maybe we believe that, that um, or we don't believe that, that He will come to our aid. We know that Jesus will help others. We've heard testimonies of other Christians who have talked about God's faithfulness to them. But, you know, we think that he's unaware of our situation. Or maybe he's powerless to do anything about our situation. Or, in the perverse pathology of our hearts, we may even reject his help when it comes because it doesn't come in the way that, that we expected. We wanted Jesus to act a certain way. We wanted Him to address certain circumstances in our lives. And He's not done that. And, and thus we push away the very hand that is offered to help us. And so we can wrestle with that sense of unbelief and, and of hard-heartedness. But the beauty of what we see in this account is that God doesn't leave us there. Not only do we see our unbelief and hard-heartedness, but we see the glory of the Lord Jesus, do we not? Uh, um, look at verse, um, let's see here. Well, just really um, look at verse 48. Uh, we see that Jesus shows his glory and his divinity in a number of ways. And the first way is by walking on the water. And in verse 48 we read, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Now, that's a strange phrase, isn't it? I mean, you read that and you think, he was going to go right by them? Was he not going to help them? Did he not care about his disciples? 
what, what, what's going on here? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but uh, let me just say this, that if the disciples had given thought to the Old Testament scriptures that they had learned as, as kids, they may would have remembered that it is God alone who has control over nature and the winds and the waves specifically. Uh, it's, uh, I think that this passage in Mark has a reference to a number of Old Testament pas scripture passages, but one being Job chapter 9, verses 8 and 11. Job 9, verse 8. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? And, and the answer, of course, is it is God. Verse 11. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. You see, there are a number of places in the Old Testament where it makes reference to God passing by. And one of the most common ones is in the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, we see that a number of different times. At Mount Sinai, the transcendent Lord passed by Moses. Moses said, Lord, reveal to me, let me see who you are. And so the Lord says, okay, I'll put you in this crack in the rock, and I'll walk past you, and I will reveal to you who I am. Let, let me just read from Exodus 33. And he said, this is the Lord speaking, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show mercy on whom... I will show mercy. And then 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's what Jesus was doing when he walked out to his disciples that he was going to pass by them. It wasn't that he was ignoring them. But he was revealing himself to his disciples to show them that he is God, who cannot be conceived in human categories. And any natural explanation of his acts is, is foolish and pointless. So he reveals his glory as God. And so he comes to his disciples in, in their need, and he addresses their situation, their fear, by revealing himself to them. Now, brothers and sisters, this is so important for us to, to grasp. Notice that, that Jesus doesn't change their circumstances. He walks out to them and he says, I am God and I am with you, right? Don't be afraid. I am with you. Now, it's interesting that Mark's gospel doesn't include a section that Matthew's gospel includes. And, and in that... Uh, Peter sees Jesus, and of course they're terrified, but he said, if you are Jesus, then tell me to come to you, and, and I will. And so Jesus said, come. And so Peter puts his foot over the boat, stands on the water, begins to walk to Jesus, right? But then what happens? He looks around and he sees the waves and the storm, and he becomes terrified, and he begins to sink. But Jesus is there, and Jesus grabs him, his hand, and holds on to him and brings him back to the boat. Brothers and sisters, that was what we need to understand more than anything. That what we need is rather than Jesus changing our circumstances when we are in the difficulties of life, is we need him himself. 
We need Jesus. We need to rest in Him. We need to know who He is. He is the only one that can calm our hearts. He is the only one that can give us joy in the midst of those difficulties. He's the only one that can give us that sense of, of peace. And so Jesus comes to His disciples uh, and, and He does eventually change their circumstances because when He gets into the boat, what happens? The wind stops. The storm stops. And He does address that. The second thing that we see um, in, in that Jesus is doing is he, he shows that He is God through the words of comfort that He speaks. In verse 50, For they all saw Him and were terrified, but immediately He spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, unfortunately, uh, the English translation loses a little bit here. In verse 50, when he says, it is I, the Greek words are ego eimi, which the literal translation of that is I am. Okay, so if we translate Jesus' words literally, this is what it sounds like. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Now, you might look at that and say, well, that's pretty poor grammar. But, but there's something that Jesus is saying there that he wants to convey to them. If you, if you remember your Old Testament, back in Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses asked God what his name was when he encountered God at the burning bush. And, and God replied and he said, I am who I am. So go tell the people that I am has sent you. Has sent me. Yeah, sent you. So in the New Testament, when Jesus says, Ego e me, he is calling himself God. He is saying, take heart, do not fear, before, because I am God. Much the same way that, that God would say to, his, Israelite, to the, his people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, fear not. So what a beautiful picture of Jesus coming to his disciples in their time of need, passing before them to reveal his character as God, speaking words of comfort that God is with them. It reminds me of a story I read of, of George Mueller Messina, one of Napoleon's generals. And he had taken a, a massive army of like 18,000 men, and he surrounded this little Austrian town. And uh, this, this town was so tiny, there's no way that they had any uh, capability of defending themselves against such a massive army. And so the city council got together and they concluded that the only thing to do was to surrender. And so they were getting ready to do that when the old deacon of the church reminded the council that it was Easter. And, and, he, said, and he begged them, he said, let's continue to hold our Easter service and let's leave these troubles in the hands of God. And so they do. The city listens to him. And so the old deacon goes to the church and he begins to ring the bell to tell the people it's time to gather, to come into God's house and to look to him and to trust him. Well, when the French soldiers heard the church bells ring, they concluded that the Australian army must have come to the rescue of this small town. So before the bells quit ringing, the entire French army had vacated and taken off. And God had delivered them. Brothers and sisters, a person's willingness to surrender himself to Jesus depends upon how he views Jesus. Is he an acquaintance? Is he a good friend? Is he a best friend? Is he someone that you know intimately? 
How do you view Jesus this morning? Who do you think Jesus is? We can't walk by faith in the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ and fear what might come to pass at any moment. The Bible tells us that Jesus is all-powerful. He's restraining and conquering all His and all our enemies. That He's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. That He preserves and He provides for and He protects us. That He is reigning in glory and He will never leave nor forsake us. When we live in fear, we stop believing in God as He truly is. As our sovereign God who is preserving and governing all His creatures in all His actions. You see, the human tendency that we have as we go through the difficulties of life is to imagine that the face... We, 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 we seek to imagine the face of God with blind eyes. But what I want you to see here from our text is it's quite the opposite. You know, followers of Christ in the storms of life are special objects of His omniscient, compassionate care. God loves us much more than you could ever imagine. And that ought to bring us great comfort as we are experiencing the difficulties of life. As we are going through the um, many uncertainties, even in our nation. Uh, economic upheaval. People concerned about jobs, small businesses, not knowing if they're going to close. Maybe you're wrestling in your faith. Uh, maybe you're, you're kids, you don't see a spiritual fervor there, and that has you concerned and worried. But in all of these things, God calls us to come to Him. He reveals Himself to us as our King, who rules over all these things, and a King who is trustworthy, that we can come to and rest in. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word that you have given to us. And we pray now that as we take a few moments of silence, that you would speak to us, Lord, and address whatever concerns of our hearts that we might be made right with you, that we might find strength and comfort in your name. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in our weakness, that you are strong, and that you don't leave us where we're at. Even in those times of unbelief, even in those times of, of hard-heartedness towards you, uh, you are able to soften our hearts. God, to show us uh, your character and your great love for your people, even so much so that you have given your life to die for us. And that even now, uh, after the cross, uh, the plan was for you not to leave us alone, but to send your Holy Spirit to be present with us while you went to heaven uh, to sit at the right hand of the Father 
and to intercede and to pray for your church. Oh God, encourage us this day that we can never be more loved than we are right now. And I pray that we would respond to that love, Lord, with great submission and obedience, with delight in our hearts and worship. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.